The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We have been walking through this text, and I believe that this text is going to be a... uh, might be a little painful. Um, and the way I think about it is I think this might be one of the most important things that Christians are not talking about. I really believe that, that this is one of the most significant and important things that the church, that Christians are just not talking about. And so I'm excited for this morning because I believe this text is going to drive us to actually start to talk about this. And to think about this and talk about this in a way that is biblical. And so there is a lot here in this next text. I'm going to break it up quite a bit because I don't want to rush too much. So we're going to break this up into bite sizes over the next couple weeks. And uh, we're going to be in the first six verses of Romans today, of Romans 14. Not at the beginning. We're not going back. Um, Romans 14, 1 through 6 um, this morning. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking and talking about the Christian conscience. And I want to start here, before we get into this this text, about what is the conscience. Um, I looked it up, not sure if this will be super helpful, but this is what Webster has to say about it, is an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Mouthful, it's mouthful, but you have, it's an inner feeling or an inner voice, and it's acting as a guide, kind of helping us, and it's individualistic here, it's helping the individual to to decide what is right and what is wrong, and if a behavior is right or if a behavior is wrong. In old cartoons, this was the, the guy with like the devil and the angel, Right? That, that whisper, do this, don't do that, right? That is conscience. So here's my question. How should we as Christians, what should we believe about conscience? How should we think about conscience? Conscience, what do we do with it? Some of us might be tempted to throw it all out because it is so subjective. Like, are you kidding me? You're talking, we have the word of God, and you're telling me that we're going to trust these fleeting feelings that are guiding us, might be tempted to, to hear this and to think, give me the scripture, give me the word, forget all that subject, subjectivity stuff, right? Might be your temptation, and, and I get it. I get that impulse, but here's the problem. If we take this seriously, you have no choice but to take conscience seriously, Because this talks about it all throughout, especially, especially church, the New Testament. The New Testament is full of these references to the conscience in the life of a believer. I think about uh, Acts 14. It says, I take pains to have a clear conscience before both God and man. Uh, in, In Acts 13, Paul stands before the council and he says, I live my life before God in all good conscience, he says. 
Uh, we, we see it in Romans, at the beginning of Romans, where, where um, Paul says that the law of God is written on our hearts so our conscience bears witness. And it's not just there. You see it in Romans 9. We saw it in last chapter, actually, in, in chapter 13. We see it in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 10, 2 Corinthians Chapters 4 and 5, we see it in First and Second Timothy. We see it in Titus and Hebrews, I mean, all over the place. Chapters 9, 10, I, I, I want to read one. In Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I could give more, but the point here that I'm trying to make is if, as Christians, we take the word of God seriously, then as Christians, we must... Think clearly about the conscience as well. And um, the definition we looked at earlier is, is okay, but I want to give some more meat on these bones for us as Christians to think about this as we prepare to step into chapter 14. Um, and there's just a few just quick truths here that I want to bring out. Number one is, um, sorry about that, I apologize. There was the scriptures, by the way. Um, number one is the conscious is part of the Imago Dei. What I mean by this is that the conscious is a part of what it means to be created in the image of God. It's a distinctly human thing. Now, animals, yes, they feel shame and they feel, you know, um, I don't know what animals feel, reward. Uh, they get emotional at times. All that's true. But, but what we're talking about here is the conscious, this internal sense of the morality of God that was placed in us. That church is an Imago Dei thing. This is a part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Second, and in that, is that conscious, the conscience is a gift of God. He is good, and he gave us good gifts. And conscience, our conscience, is one of those incredibly good gifts being poured out on us. Number three is that, this one's going to get some of you. It's unique to the individual. I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. But when we talk about Christian conscience, church, Christians are going to differ with you. Uh, we can love and follow and serve Jesus as Lord. We can fully submit to this, right? Fully. And yet, Christians will differ on issues of conscience. And in this church, we will, we will differ. And let me add, we're going to talk about this, but that's not a reason for you to bail and find a place that fits better. We're going to talk about this more. This isn't a reason to throw up our hands in frustration or, or sometimes even worse, is to try to convert everyone to your specific issues of conscience and just make that your thing and just judge everyone who doesn't see things. Okay, we're going to get to all this, but here, what Paul is doing is he is showing us how we can walk together, live together in Christian community in the midst of our diverse consciences. Some of you, your, 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 your wheels are starting to spin a little bit. That's good. We're, get, we're, gonna, we're gonna dig. This is just to get us started. So number one, it's part of the Imago Dei. It's a gift of God. It's unique to the individual. And, and next is it's both a judge and a guide. So what I mean by this is the conscience is both a judge, meaning it looks backwards and says, that was right, that was wrong. 
And it also serves as a guide, not just looking backwards, but looking forwards and saying, what should I do to walk in rightness or wrongness? There is a, uh, a judge and a guide, and that, that, that's your conscience in your, in, your, in your heart. And as such, it can be rejected or obeyed. Uh, scripture talks about this. It can be injured or hurt or seared or damaged. We see 1 Timothy um, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 is a painful example of what happens when a conscience is damaged. But we can also see that our conscience can be more conformed to Christ and we can listen to it and walk in it in a beautiful way. So it can be rejected. It can be obeyed. And lastly, this is going to sound like a no-brainer, but this one is really important. Jesus is Lord over it. He's Lord over it. He's Lord over all things, but including your own conscience. And So although I'm about to tell you that your conscience is important and you need to listen to it, ultimately it submits to Jesus. He is Lord over it all. So even if your conscience tells you, you know what, it's good for me to steal, to get what's mine and to get ahead, I can tell you you're wrong because God has told you you are wrong. And so even in that, we submit our conscience under Jesus as Lord we look at all of these, we see that it's part of the Imago Dei. It's a gift of God. It's unique to the individual. It's a judge and a guide. It can be rejected or obeyed, and Jesus is Lord over it. Why did I start here? I started here because I believe if we see this, we're going to approach this text in a way that we're going to be able to better understand it and better live it out, better apply it. And so, having said all of that, let's get started in verse 1. Verse 1, Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. We can pause here. That'll preach. Like, that's, uh, that is enough to chew on. Do not quarrel over opinions. Listen, our world, our news, our news feeds, our social media feeds, our groups... Some of them exist for the sole purpose of quarreling. I, you know this, but some news stations, I would, the majority of news stations would actually have nothing to say if they lived out Romans 14.1. It just it would be very boring. Um, a lot of the click whip bait would go away. Some bumper stickers that I've seen would certainly go away. And social media would just be so much more boring. Like if all the hot takes and all that were to just go away, you're just going to have like animals and food and toddlers, and that's it. Super boring. Um, because a lot of that exists to cash in on the fact that we enjoy quarreling, right? And, and here, um, do not quarrel. But I got to be fair here because Paul's not talking about the world out there in this text. Paul is talking about the church in here, that we do not quarrel over opinions, that we welcome each other without quarreling. So I'm going to leave the world out of this for now. And I want to ask, what if the church just lived out Romans 14.1? That would be incredible. Now, one more thing here, and this is important. I want to bring out this language of weak brother. 
We see it in the text. We see as for the one who is weak in faith. Um, this We're going to come back to this throughout, but this is important because this feels awkward. If you think about this idea of weakness here, it sounds a bit like Paul's insulting or saying they're lesser. They need to grow up. They need to strengthen up, hit the gym, right? Get stronger. And it's easy to feel like that when we get to a word like weak here in this text. Uh, But I want to encourage you and challenge you to consider the tone and how Paul talks about this weak brother here in this text. As you look at this, you're going to notice this text is not telling the weak brother, get stronger. Like, get get strong, stop being weak. No, this text is to the church as a whole to live in unity with each other, the weak and the strong and everyone in between. And, And if anything, this is a text to call the strong to stop it. To walk with more grace and love. If you just look at the tone here, you're going to notice here that weak in the faith is not a reference to the belief that they have in Christ, their significance or value in the church, their giftings, their salvation, none of that. Weak in the faith, I need you to hear me, is a direct reference to their conscience. Direct reference. I have a lousy example, but bear with me. Uh, The way we use the term weak stomach. So weak stomach uh, is someone whose stomach gets upset just a little easier. You know, whatever it may be, maybe certain smell or food just gets upset. Now, maybe you can eat peaches all day long. But maybe they, because of their weak stomach, cannot. Cannot because they have a weak stomach. Peaches aren't good for them, right? Um, I believe this is a better way to understand the word weak here in this text. It's a reference to conscience here. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us two examples um, he's going to put out. First example is the Christian diet, and the second example is the Christian holiday. Okay? Uh, First example, let's hit diet. Verse 2 says, one person believes that he can eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Now, this is not a slam or a rip on any vegetarians I have in the room, or vegans, or pescatarians, or paleo, or keto, or any of that. This is not stepping into the diet wars of 2022. Paul did not write it for that reason. All right, what we see here is a reference to certain religious dietary codes. In other words, this is a reference to people not eating meat, not because of their cholesterol, but because of their religious convictions. They're not eating meat. It's out of a religious conviction. Now, you could look at that today And you say, well, that's crazy. Like, there's no verse that says, thus saith the Lord, you shall not eat meat. We don't see that. I mean, this is crazy that you would believe that. Like, we could go. And I mean, you can even say, okay, maybe unclean meat. I can see that one. But what? Meat as a whole. This is crazy. Um, Listen, that's just the point. 
It's their conscience that is convicting them not to eat meat. Hold that. Second example, Christian holidays. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another day, while another esteems all days are alike. Paul then says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Again, this is the point. It's conscience. It's it's being convinced in our mind. This is conscience. And what does Paul instruct us to do here? What does Paul tell you to do when you're in a community with people who have differing conscience issues than you? What does he say? What does Paul say when one brother believes eating steak is wrong while another believes it is delicious? What do we do when one sister believes we should celebrate this day and set it apart as unto the Lord while another sister says, no, all days are set apart? What do we do? Well, we look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. What a verse that is. Going going back to what we said at the beginning. Jesus is Lord over all and under him, under his word, we welcome each other. We, we welcome each other. In other words, if God has not explicitly commanded or condemned it, we must allow for different issues of conscience to be alive and well in our church community. Now, uh, as I say this, there are so many hot-button issues that I could use right now, and some of you are going there. Like right now, you are thinking of some examples that I could use to make half of you mad and half of you clap. I get it. I get it. So I, listen, I don't want to play that game this morning. And so what I'm going to do is I have picked an example that is so tame. And I say that it might not be tame for everyone, but it is so tame. And I do this intentionally and on purpose, okay? So here is the example. We're going to be bouncing back to this all morning. Um, Music. Christian music. Dun, dun, dun. Like, Christian music. Uh, For some, there are some whose conscience leads them to listen to only Christian music, period. That's it. Praise music, hymns, K-love, it doesn't matter. It's whatever your flavor might be, you are personally convicted. You need to only listen to Christian music. Even as I use this example, there are some sitting here that's like, what are you talking about? That's obvious. Obviously, we're only supposed to listen to Christian music. And there are others of you in this room right now that are hearing this, and they're like, what? There are people who only listen to Christian music. What is Christian music? <laughs> I know it. I know it. So there are some to, to, whose conscience leads them to listen to nothing but Christian music, while others do not feel any conviction about that whatsoever. Nothing. Not even a blip. 
Now, does Scripture explicitly command us to listen to only Christian music? I would argue no. And more than that, here's the real question, is does, Christian, or does Scripture define what Christian music is? Like, is, does Scripture say it's music performed by Christians? Does, music, does, does Scripture say that it is music produced by Christian publishers? Music played on Christian radio? Music with some kind of Christian content? What is it, right? Of course, Scripture does not speak to this because CCM, contemporary Christian music, is not that old. It's not that old. It's been around for just a little bit. And so Scripture doesn't speak directly to here. Now, sure, there are some texts that we can apply with things that we consume and entertainment. I get all that. I get it. But largely, Scripture does not say, thus saith the Lord on this one. So what do we do? Let's go to verse 3 again. Let not the one who listens, I'm adding this, who listens to other music, despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who listens exclusively to Caleb pass judgment on the one who does not. For God has welcomed him. This means that if I am having Tom and Sally over for dinner, and, and I know that they are Christian music-only people, and they walk into my house, I'm not going to have crooner jazz playing as we have dinner together. I'm going to be pumping out some praise music. Now, don't I have every right to listen to Sinatra in my own home? Sure. But I love them more. And I consider them first. Now, um, I picked a relatively tame example here, and I'm trusting that you are able to fill in the gaps with some that are less tame. But the principle remains the same. And I, I want you to think about it like this. How many are visual people here? I know I am. I have a visual that has helped me, and, and this is not original to me at all. This comes from this book called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. This is by Andrew David Nacelli and J.D. Crowley. I cannot recommend it enough. It's one of the most important books that a 2022 Christian could read that probably is not getting read. It's a good one. Can't recommend it enough. Um, but they have this really helpful visual. I'm going to do my best to reproduce this sucker up here, okay? Bear with me if it messes up, but I think I got this. All right. This triangle represents God's will, okay? Represents God's will as God has revealed it to us in his word, okay? And, and each one of these letters here, P, A, G, C, D, E, F, they represent different things that God has commanded or condemned in his word. Ten Commandments or uh, um, the Great Command, the Great Commission, being a part of a local church. Don't slander, forgive, these things. Things that we see in scripture that we should do, okay? Um, that's what these, these letters represent. Now, we're gonna add one more triangle to this. Let's meet Annie. This is Annie's conscience. 
And, and as you see right off the, the bat here is there is a significant overlap. I mean, A, C, D, E, F, that's awesome. What these are are areas in Annie's life where her conscience is aligned with God's word. Her heart is pricked over the things that God has put out in his word, okay? Um, now, we have P and G over here. Oops. That means that these are the things that are in God's word that may not yet prick Annie's conscience, So for an easy example here, maybe P can represent gossip. And maybe Annie can gossip all day long and feel no prick of conscience, not even a blurp on the radar. We know it's wrong, but her conscience isn't yet conformed fully to the the will of God, okay? So we have P, we have G, we have issues like that, and in goal is to conform herself more, to bring that P down in here, right? But for now, we'll leave it at this. Now, there's another one. What do we do with this B here? This B here is is an interesting one because this is something that's not directly revealed in Scripture, but it pricks Annie's conscience. So we use the tame example of Christian music only. Boom. That's B, okay? Uh, That's B. Um, now, this is overly simplistic, but how simple is this? Like, when it's just you, you and God, you work on that. I mean, that's, that's so easy. It's so clear. You know what makes it a mess, though? You know what makes it a mess? is when someone else enters the picture. Let's introduce you to Bill. This is Bill's conscience here. Again, we see some things. We see... Uh, you see A and P, that's ouch. He needs to conform himself more in, into the image of Christ there. But we see, we see C, D, E, F, G. These are things that he is on, he is, he is there, right? He's being conformed to Scripture in the way of God. But church, what do you do with all of this mess? That's just crazy, right? You have H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O, All on these, and again, these are things that prick his conscience, but are not explicitly given to us in Scripture. So I really shied away from giving examples here, but I'll give a few. Uh, Maybe politics, uh, maybe entertainment. We don't believe we should have a TV in our house. Okay, maybe that's K. Uh, maybe, Maybe parenting, like Public school, private school, Christian school, homeschool, which one is it? Maybe it's one of those, like there's a whole lot of things, drinking, smoking, whatever you put in here. You could just stack it. Um, now, I could go on and on, but here's the deal. Bill can listen to Sinatra, but he can't do any of those things. Annie listens to Caleb, but can't do, but feels fine about all these other things. That makes sense. You see how messy, how super messy this is? Now, to use the language of our text, Bill here is the weaker brother. Okay? Just to use that language, Bill here represents the weak in the faith brother who has a lot of things, a lot of things going on. Now, this is messy, but I, this, is, this is, did not come from this book. I'm going to add one more slide to this because... Do you know what the church is? It is literally hundreds of triangles coming together. 
And along with that mess, you know what comes along with it? A whole host of other letters. What on earth are we to do with this? Church, this is Stone Oak Bible Church. This is who is in the room with you right now. This is so messy and so important to understand. And it is in this that Romans 14 smacks us in the face. It is in this. It says, verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In other words, Annie, who are you to judge Bill? Bill, who are you to judge Annie? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And then listen, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Hear that? I mean, this is one day we are going to stand before the Lord. The pure and righteous and holy judge We will be accountable to him on all things, including issues of conscience. We know this to be true. And Paul is saying here, listen, until then, stop it. Stop it. One day, we will stand before the judge, and you're not the judge. Annie, you're not the judge. Bill will stand before his judge one day. Bill, you are not the judge. Annie will stand before the Lord one day and give an account. Living in community will be messy, and we are called to come together in all of that messiness for the glory of God. One more thing to this. Um, I got to add this too, because you might be thinking, well, how do we know, like all these triangles with letters, how do we know where the letters go? How do we know where something that's commanded or kind of or favored or not? Like, how do we know? How do we know? First of all, um, as we look at this, we need to search and know the word. So, So what I mean by this is we need to know what God has said. If we are to know what is in this triangle, we need to know what he said. We need to know and search scripture so that we know him and know his character and his command Listen, um, this is why so many of the Psalms are dedicated to this. I'll pull, pull, uh, pull one out, uh, Psalm 119, longest one, longest one in the, in the whole book. The whole thing is dedicated to geeking out about the word of God. That's it. Like it's a whole Psalm just dedicated to how good this is and sitting in it and searching it. We need to be a people of the word to know what is good and what is right, what is true. That is the first thing. The second thing though is... We need to know ourselves. Um, know yourself. This is why scripture uses the language all the time. Search me and know me. It'd be invitation for the scripture or to the, to the spirit to do his work in us and to search us and to know us, to reveal things in us. Listen, you deceive you. And I've said this before, but you lie to you more often than anyone else you know does. If, if anyone lied to you as much as you do, you would not be friends with them. Guarantee it. And this is why we need to know ourselves and our tendencies. Um, I want to show you one more thing as we, as we walk down this before we move on to our final verse. Um, I heard this a while ago from Dr. Greg Strand. He's the director of theology for the EFCA. And, and he put his finger on something. 
that just whew, stopped me in my tracks. It, it just it resonated with me. Um, he put his finger on something, uh, tears. First tier, second tier, third tier. He said, there are top tier things. Um, there are second tier things, and there are third tier things. Top tier things are the things you would go to the plate and you would give your life for. Like, you would give your life for. They're your central beliefs. Maybe Jesus resurrected. Top tier. I hope that's a top tier. But then we have second tier things, and, and these are the things that we wouldn't necessarily like to die for. Not that we want it to, you get what I mean. Um, but they are things that we feel very convicted of, committed to things that, that are defining for us, things that we would even break fellowship over. Uh, maybe, again, with my examples, I'm going to get my first baptism. One of those things that, you know what? I see scripture as saying this. I believe in this. Um, maybe that is an example of a second tier thing. Now, third tier. These are the things you believe, but you're not completely tied to. In other words, you can have a friend who doesn't see eye to eye with you. It's not a huge deal. You're going to have some good discussion, right? That's a third tier thing. Um, and, and here's the deal. First, second, third tier. I think we all see this. I think we all get this on some level, that we have this in ourselves. Um, the question that I have, though, is how do you figure out which ones are on which tier? Because in a community, we not only, going back to that you know, visual I gave with all the triangles. We not only have all these triangles, but we also differ on how we define first, second, third tier things in our, heart, in our hearts and lives. And, and this is where, where it really gets difficult because for one Christian, Christian music isn't even on this tier. It's like down here. Maybe it gets here, but it's down here. But there might be some Christians who believe Christian music is a second tier thing. Maybe even borderline first. And I say this, and I'm serious. I'm serious about this. This is why this is so important. This is why this is the most important thing we're not talking about. This is, this is huge, and this is where it gets difficult. And, and this is what I want to bring out what Dr. Strand said. He, he, pointed his, he put his finger on something. He said, this is why you need to know yourself and your tendency. He said, um, he put in two camps... One being if you're from a more conservative background. And by this, I don't mean politically, I mean theologically. Theologically conservative. Maybe the extremes of this would be kind of the fundamentalist or the legalist, uh, that, that big swing over here. If you come from this background, your tendency is going to be to want to elevate everything up. Everything is up. Now, I'm not saying that you think this is right, but this is what your heart does. It's just, it, 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 it wants to move everything up. You want to protect the truth so much. You want to protect the truth so much that you elevate everything, you die on every single hill, and everything is all or nothing. That might be... I think you know it if this is your tendency, but that might be some of your tendencies sitting in this chair here today. Now, 
On the other side, if you come from a more liberal tradition, again, liberal not politically, but theologically, um, you're going to have the opposite tendency. And he pointed this out. He says, whereas the conservative shoots everything up to the top of the triangle, um, the liberal pushes everything down. Everything down. And in, in where the conservative is literally dying on every single hill. A liberal theologian can't find a hill to die on. Can't find it. And in the attempt to try to love everyone really well and not divide, they take kind of an it's all good approach. And it's all, it's, it's all good, right? Now, I know this is way overly simplified. I get that. Uh, but I believe it is so important to identify your tendency. So important. This is hard enough. But it gets so much harder, so much harder, when, when Annie believes it's all good, we're fine. And when Bill thinks, no, we're not fine. Everything is a, you know, church, we are called together as the church under Christ, by Christ, for Christ, we are diverse. We should be diverse. We come to this word, we come to the tables, and, and we stand shoulder to shoulder with people who are different than you. And that is a good thing. In here, all of our triangles crash into each other. They all come together. Our convictions come together. We're in this diverse community. So that means we need to know, search and know the word. That means we need to search and know ourselves. And lastly, we love each other. Love each other. We are, again, diverse. And there are people here who have different issues of conscience than you do over a whole host of things. You need to know the word of God, search yourself, and then we walk in love for our brother and sister. And you know what that so often means, just to cut right to the chase here? You need to be willing to lay down your preferences for your brother and sister. Be willing to lay down your preferences. This is how we walk in love. This is why Paul said in our last chapter, love each other. Love's the fulfillment of the law. This is why he said, do no wrong to a neighbor. Love is the fulfilling of the law in verse 10. This is huge. It, it, love of neighbor. We, we, we know this, right? We search this. We know this. We search this. And then we love. We love each other. And I believe this leads us into our final and last verse this, this morning. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Here's the heart. This is the heart. We do it all as unto the Lord. We do it all to bring him honor and him glory together as the church in all of our diversity. I want to make this very personal here. This is God's will, and this is your conscience. Make this personal. 
All of these things, A, B, all of them, you do as worship to your God. To honor him because he is Lord. Your desire should be that your triangle more aligns with his will each and every day. This should be our drive that we would be conformed to Christ. And listen, even these things, this B down here, we, even, we should do that to honor our God. For his glory, we should do that to honor him. We do all of this, not to make ourselves look good, to project to other people, to say, look how great I am, but as unto the Lord. And in the midst of that, we have this. Look at the person next to you. This is their triangle. Okay? This is their triangle. And in this moment, we seek to do all of this in a way that brings honor to the Lord. They abstain from these things, things that you don't understand. You just don't get it. Do not understand it. You don't need to, but you don't judge them and you love them. You don't judge them, you love them. So when you invite them over, you lay down your preferences to serve them, love them, and meet them where they are. If you're inviting someone over and you know that they abstain from drinking alcohol and you know that they only listen to Christian music, then guess what? For the love of brother, you invite them into your home and you have some Michael W. Smith playing on the radio and you have some tea and coffee ready to go and you do not say a thing. And you do that as to honor the Lord. It's our way of worshiping him. And I want to be careful because I want to talk about the other side now, the weaker brother. If your conscience is pricked and heavy about something, bring it to your God and to scripture and then listen to it. Same example, if you believe you should not drink alcohol, Please do not invite someone over and go buy a six-pack to drink with them after your dinner. It is not wise, church, for you to go against your conscience like that. It is not wise, church. This is why, bringing it full circle, Paul uses the term weak brother here to differentiate this. I want you to hear me here. In Christian community, the call is not for the weaker brother to violate their conscience in order to foster a community with the stronger brothers. No. The call for the church, the call for us as followers of Jesus is for the stronger brother to lay down his rights in love and care for the younger or the weaker brother as unto the Lord to foster godly Christian community. This is, this is so important. And church, I know that this will get difficult. I know that this will get messy, complicated. I know 
it would be so much easier if everyone just thought like you, believed what you believed, dressed like you. I know, you think it would be easy, but I can say with all confidence that although it might seem easier, it is not God's plan for your life. It is not what is good for you. It is not his plan for his church because God uses our diversity to bring him glory. He uses our diversity to proclaim Christ. The church should not be your echo chamber. The church should be a place of sanctification and refining. It should be your opportunity to learn how to lay yourself down for your brother and sister. Just as Christ did for you, by the way. Okay, this is going to be fun. Uh, This is only the beginning. (sighs) I feel like I need to pull back. Okay. Backing off now. Um, This is only the beginning, and we are going to continue in this incredible chapter over the next couple weeks. And I just pray that we are able to live this out in wisdom. So let's take a breath. Let's pause here, and let's pray in response. God, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of our conscience. As confusing as it can be at times, Lord, we know it's your good gift and it's a part of being made in your good image. So Lord, teach us how we are to one, con- continually just conform ourselves to Jesus. But then two, would you teach us how we should respond to our conscience this morning? And number three, would you teach us how to love each other well? To understand that our brother and sister beside us are different than us and that God is using them to make us more like Jesus. Would you help us to see that? Would you help us to get that? And Lord, I want to pray specifically for my brothers and sisters in this room who are struggling to lay ourselves down for others. My goal is not just to beat you over the head and tell you to do it. But far more than that, my goal is to pick up our eyes to Jesus. Lord, would you show us what Jesus has done for us? Who, though he was God, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient, even unto death, death on a cross. That is our Savior. That is who we follow. Lord, teach us now how to live that out for our brothers and and sisters in this room. God, we don't want to give ourselves over to quarreling, but instead we, we welcome each other in by the grace of God. Would you conform us more to the image of your Son? In Jesus' name.